welcome to Inspired Surfers on Wavelength Community Radio in partnership with Jimmy's Iced Coffee. In this episode, Jim is in conversation with one of surf culture's most vibrant duos, iconic free surfer and environmental campaigner Dave Rastovich and celebrated wave rider, author and activist Lauren Hill. Together, they share an idyllic 20-acre plot near Byron Bay from which they grow fresh food for the community, raise their four-year-old son, Minoa, and present the Water People podcast, an interview series focused on community, ecology, surfing, and activism. Good morning. Um, it's Friday morning here on the sun, actually sunny south coast of Dorset, England, United Kingdom, Great Britain, whatever you want to call it. And um, I'm here with uh, Dave and Lauren, Dave Rastovich, Lauren Hill, um, who are both mega human beings. Guys, how are you? Thanks very much for joining us. Tell us where you're at, what are you doing, what time is it over there, and tell us how much fun you're having. Oh, thanks so much for having us. We are in our little culture club, as we call it. It is a rare, uh, moonlit, semi-cloudless night. We've been having incredible, um, well, an incredible rainy season thus far with massive floods in our region. So we're enjoying being able to see the moon tonight. Yes, and I'm nursing a very leathery, sunburnt back from going out in the sun that just happened to appear um, briefly and feeling very um, happily fried and vitamin D filled. So it's a good time. <laughs> do you know what? The, what we have to do here is we have to buy these things called SAD lamps. Um, like we feel like. Sad lamps. Like, yeah, sad lamps. Yeah. Um, I think it's like a sunshine something disorder where you basically don't get any sunlight. So you have to sit under a lamp. That's. Um, that's, that's how exciting that, it gets in the UK sometimes. That is a very well-named lamp. <laughs> oh, seasonal yeah. affective disorder or something like that. <laughs> that's the one, yeah. Um, and I think come like end of October, I start turning into this like horrifically annoyed, grizzly, pale bear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't do people I say do, friends, do, you, do you have friends asking you, hey, man, you cracked out your sad lamp yet? Bro, you... you, you. <laughs> Because me hours under your sad lamp, man. Time to switch it on. <laughs> I've done six hours on the sad lamp, man. I feel great. I'm feeling buzzing. <laughs> wow, that's trippy. <sighs> it's yeah, it's wrong. Um, and I, no, it's the last thing I'm ever going to buy. But yeah, man, the last couple of days we've actually had like glorious sunshine. And I put an email out to our crew uh, in a very kind of sarcastic way that we need to wear um, Hawaiian shirts to to um, to work to celebrate. And mm, I, was, nice. I, was, I was I was the only one. Um, so <laughs> that, that was great. So I look like a, um, a total idiot, but never mind. Um, so what, what these, these floods that you guys have got, are they on your doorstep or are they way, way further north? Um, so the, the area that's been affected by this wet season um, and in particular this very slow-moving storm that hit um, two weeks ago, and everyone's still cleaning up from, it stretched from Noosa, which is sort of the most northeast surf location on the east coast of Australia you can get, um, all the way down to pretty much the bottom of the east coast of Australia. So the south coast below Sydney was also flooding flooding, uh, two weeks after Noosa and everywhere started flooding. And so this slow-moving blob of of water in the sky just um, sat on top of everyone and um, dumped, you know, the town inland from us called Lismore. It had 12 metres or something, nearly 14 metres, I think it was, on their river gauge that went up so far that there were washing machines in the power lines and motorbikes in the power lines and one of the, just radical. One of the local rain gauges just in the hills um, inland from us read 774 mils of rain in a 24-hour period, so that's about 30 inches. Um, wow. So it was massive, massive, yeah, flash and this, flooding. This, this, has, this hasn't happened in how many years? Never. 
No, not one, to no this extent. Yeah, no one's ever seen the height of what's just occurred here. And um, it's a subtropical region, so we're used to floods. Everyone gets a wet season experience of some sort. But this was um, just like, you know, lots of different um, members of the scientific community have been saying that, you know, we might not see um, more quantity of storms in our future but we will see a more intense quality to them um, due to so many of the earth changes happening and uh, and that's exactly what's just happened like you look at the last two years in Australia before the whole COVID thing happened we had fires of the magnitude that I think the whole world saw um, you know the whole country was burning and that there was a scale that's never been seen before and then uh, right now, we've just had the same in the opposite end of the spectrum um, via water. So, yeah, really, um, really inspiring a lot of reflection and a lot of thought and some big conversations in this country right now because of no, the scale of this. A lot of political action, too, taking place. I mean, it's been an incredible effort from the community here. Um, the government was slow to respond to the utter devastation of so many i think i think it was looking like 4000 people 4000 homes were considered unlivable there's a you know 4000 potentially families that are homeless mm-hmm. and the government was slow to step in the community response was unbelievable and so well organized and parallel to that has been a real um, engagement from lots of people stepping up and asking questions of uh, local politicians and federal politicians of, you know, what what's your stance on climate policy? Because we need to be um, taking action now. Yeah, I mean that's that kind of falls quite not nicely, but it kind of matches the kind of stuff that you guys are doing with um, kind of activism and environmentalism and things like that. Are you guys getting involved in the in in the push to get people to act faster and harder? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so both Lauren and I are involved with Patagonia um, and, and here in Australia, all, all, all over, but mostly here in Australia, especially with the last couple of years where no one's really been allowed to leave or, or enter Australia. And so localising the, um, I guess, the work that we're really passionate about, which is social and ecological change for the better, and that in, here in Australia is ongoing because in a lot of ways Australia is sort of the resource sandpit for the world. You know, we just export so much of this country to other countries to produce things that are all the way from weapons to just pointless food stuff. Lots of food. Lots of food, yeah, lots of meat to Asia and whatnot. And and, uh, and so we've got a very small population, 25 plus million people over a massive island continent. And um, there, it's really quite easy for very big corporations to push and pull our government around um, mm. in whatever direction they like. And so the last few years has been an amazing experience as a coastal person to see uh in particular surfers stepping forward into more of a protector's role for our coast and that happened a a couple years ago Um, but culminating in the last year with a a win to stop a big Norwegian um, uh, extractive company from going into the Great Australian Bight and and looking for and extracting oil uh, and also gas in that region and so that was a big effort that saw 60,000 or so coastal people do paddle outs and participate in paddle outs of celebration for our coast and also overt opposition to that company and any other company trying to insert itself and industrialise stretches of coastline that are so beautiful, pristine and such a part of the Australian identity and culture and, and so that was amazing because, you know, historically surfers have been a pretty hard bunch to um, get to protests or turn up at council meetings and do things on such a scale. But that's what we were seeing. And so in the end, that company pulled out and nearly all of the other companies who have been pursuing um, exploration for oil in the Bight of Australia, which is the bottom, basically the whole bottom of the country, 
um, they've been pulling out and uh, and the culture here in Oz really took that as a win and as a sign that people power here is impactful and if we do make it unpopular enough um, to do things like, you know, industrialise beautiful coastlines that any politician that sides with that corporation or that industry is just shooting themselves in the foot and so it's pretty easy to to um, tweak the dials and work on that angle in Australia and, and that's great. So it's been a really positive thing and I think now for, for Lauren and I here in Oz, it's about moving into the other areas of conservation um, and really celebration of our coast uh, to stop things like that happening anywhere around the country. So there's lots of other things like gas exploration near Sydney and Newcastle that are are trying to insert themselves and so um, that's also had a bit of a positive turn lately where people have made it quite unpopular um, for that industry and politicians interested in it so and then, yeah yeah and then closer to home we um we've really taken advantage of this sort of homebound period of um, covid quarantines and um, Dave had this kind of brilliant idea of developing the surfers garden so that you know that sort of means of a very resilient um, garden space that can withstand weeks of neglect based on surf season um, <laughs> coming to town. Um, so over the last couple of years, we've been working with a local permaculture guru, Jeff Lawton, um, to develop a beautiful permaculture space um, on our land and then working with our neighbors and friends in the community to, well, aspiring to feed about eight local families from our plot. And it's just turned into this beautiful shared community space of, you know, meaningful work and meaningful play. Kids are running around the garden and, and tasting broccoli and greens and picking tomatoes. And, um, and yeah, we've just found it to be a great connective part of our local community. That sounds so fun. <laughs> it has been. And, and, and those those families that you're helping, they are they kind of like families in need? How does that kind of work? Well, we are on um, a piece of land that butts up against other big areas of um, sort of coastal rainforest and bush and everyone's decided to live in this area because it's quiet and there's not too many other humans, you know, outside your your bedroom window or anything it's it's quite peaceful and so we all get along really well um but also still you just sort of you know find yourself maybe only having a short conversation with each other every month or so or you know just that thing that happens where you can be near to people but not really that close and so we're really feeling that along with the food cultivation was the desire for community cultivation and to really nurture that and to yeah go you know a little deeper into localizing and and that was it so so really we didn't know what was going to happen with the food space on in terms of scale how much we would be able to grow and share um but pretty much everything we've put in the ground has grown and the opportunity to feed Anyone that we know that wants healthy, alive, local, organic, chemical-free food can do so just by stopping in and, and having a chat and hanging out, and and it's really succeeded in that way. It's really grown more of a closeness in our little community. Um, so it's kind of like, the, you know, I think you would probably have them over there. Uh, you have community gardens, you know, where it's, on some piece yeah. of land, maybe private or public land or whatever, but it's a community garden. Well, this is sort of like a, a personal community garden and there's no money exchanged or anything and uh, it's pretty loose. But we've been really, that's it. We, sorry, mm, go for it. We've been really inspired over the years by the work of Helena Norberg-Hodge, who's a proponent of localization both economically um, and politically and otherwise. And um, she says that localization is the solution that begets solutions. So, you know, if you're localizing your food choices, you're you're addressing the, you know, quarter or so of global emissions that the um, industrial food 
shipping, packaging, growing industry contributes to, you know, our changing climate. And um, when you're talking about localizing your food and, and having your hands in the soil with with your friends and your neighbors, you're talking about, you know, creating this connective tissue that allows us to develop a kind of resiliency that, I don't know, I feel like we, we didn't have before we had the opportunity to really work together in this kind of meaningful way. Mm. It's, it's quite amazing. Like COVID has done a quite a good thing in terms of teaching people that actually what's on our doorstep is actually rather nice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been seeing that there? Have, do you feel like there's been some cultural shifts in your coastal communities there? Yeah. I, I'm, it's, it, I guess people really kind of addressed when, like, when there were proper lockdowns, people were really taking a good look at themselves and going, you know what actually when this all kind of eases off I'm I, you know I might do a, a I might take a flight somewhere but I'm actually going to really consider where I'm going and what I'm actually going to do when I get there and and I, I guess I'm not too sure on how kind of um farming and kind of little allotments and stuff have grown but I'm sure they've they've gone quite wild but it's it's definitely people have kind of gone well actually we don't necessarily need to do we don't need to go somewhere to go and have fun. We can actually have fun on our doorstep. And um, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of in the mindset where I would, I'm quite happy if the sun's shining just to go in my back garden and just, and just lie on the grass and just actually mm-hmm. kind of just be happy that I'm not joining a queue and I'm not jumping on a plane and, and all those kind of things. So it's, I, th- I think that's been quite a good lesson. And I also, I, I heard that you guys interviewed um, Fergal the other day, which I, I did, I think about a few days before, um you guys did and uh mm-hmm. he's got a you know pretty similar story to you guys in the fact that he's um he's a bit of an activist and not a bit of an activist he is an activist um and he's and he runs that moy hill farm in ireland um which sounds i mean it sounds brutal if i'm honest in terms of <laughs> how hard he works you know his the weather the weather comparisons mm. between what he's dealing with and what you guys are dealing with i think I'd much rather be working on on your farm than um, than, than this farm. But, it's un- unfair um, to draw any sort of comparison. Fergal is well and truly way beyond anything we're yeah. we're trying to accomplish, and and much more skilled on top of that. Yeah, and he's he. I think it's so admirable what he's doing because he he said when we chatted that you know he would love to just be doing what we're doing, but he's got a place that is in such need. And so do we here in Australia. We have a real need to repair the ecology here. But he, he was just speaking of his real goal to educate people and proliferate that kind of earth repair and and well-being um, from the techniques and the, the things he's, um, uh, I guess, achieving in his soil and replenishing it every year in measurable amounts. That's all really admirable stuff. And I think we're just a bit more selfish than that. And we <laughs> we're, uh, or maybe talk to him when he's got a four year old and we'll see how he's going. But, um, but you know, it's just, it's for us right now, this experiment has been one that's really been successful. And the, the sense of success that, for me personally, I experience when picking food and just giving it to people is something so tangible and so real for someone who's lived such a intangible and uh, ridiculously fortunate life of, of surfing um, and never really being able to show much for it other than lots of good times and, and fun waves and everything. It just feels really nice to do some hard work, to feel really sore at the end of the day have a beer and, and um, you know, have the food that we're eating grown from this space while knowing that we've also encouraged insect life and bird life and diversity back into a place that was just logged and burnt and discarded with cattle, you know, rummaging all over it. So Yeah, I mean, that's, nice, seeing yeah. that change, seeing that change is really nice and I guess, you're very similar to Fergal in the fact that you've had you've had such a great opportunity while you're so young to see the world, surf some of the greatest waves, and and you know be in be in that spotlight and kind of have your time, and then be able to still you know be physically able to then start something up that's local, and you've you've and you've you know if it does it, does it kind of feel like you've done your bit, and now you can actually focus on just 
not necessarily hanging out, but just being just being local and honing in on like pure family and pure health and, and wellness and things like that? Um, well, I'm definitely more of a surf rat now than ever. Um, so, <laughs> so I don't even know how that scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, I remember just before we were to have our little boy, Minnow, Ozzy Wright was telling me we we're having a talk and he's had his, um, had a very similar life. The both of us actually have a lot of similarities in our timeline in life and have had lots of adventures together. But, but he was saying, Oh, you wait, you wait till you see how much you love surfing when you have a little Grom and how much you appreciate it so much more when your, you know, time isn't just all about being selfish and all about you. And, uh, and I was like, Oh yeah, just sort of nodding and listening. And I didn't really get it until we had our little boy. And now it's really, it really feels true. Um, and so, so that combined with just not having cameras around is so good. I never felt comfortable being in front of cameras and rocking up to surf spots to have my picture taken surfing places or whatever. It just felt always a bit awkward and a bit soul-destroying trying to, you know, commodify this awkward, thing that is really special for me. So, so anyway, um, so I guess what you're saying is pretty accurate and the time and all of that is sort of, uh, done in a way, but also we working with Patagonia, it's just, they're, they're the most inspiring group of people where it's just like, how do we do what we do, use what we need for surfing, um, to better things in the world, to better systems, to better communities, uh, to better each other, and it's a really admirable approach that Patagonia has, and a very honest one. Warts and all, saying, "Yeah, we make messes, we make a stink as well as everyone else, but we're doing it, um, doing the best we can to make it as little as possible and to change systems." So, for us, being able to be a part of uh, a group of people that have those ideals and that that is associated with the surfing community, but not really the surfing industry is really awesome because you know we love surfing you know we have our water people podcast which um centers on surfing a lot of the time all kinds of people but a lot of the time surfing and and we do that because we feel like surfing is so rich with stories and amazing characters and has given us and continues to gift us so much that it's it's a way we can stay in tight with the global surfing community and and just keep the ball bouncing because it is something so special yeah i've been i was talking to my wife um last night saying um we 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 came to byron about two well actually two christmases ago um we came over there because we've got some buddies who who live over there and we had the most amazing time and we've just found out there's, there's an amazing kind of blues band who are based just outside of Melbourne called the Teskey Brothers. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're playing Byron Bay Blues Festival this Christmas. And um, I'm just kind of keen to uh, <laughs> to get over there. Uh-huh. It's already, I'm, I'm wishing my life away already, but I'm kind of keen to get there for that because I can't think of anything better than standing in the sun listening to those guys with yeah like you were describing earlier dave with a crispy back yep. <laughs> yep, that'll happen one of our good mates ash grinwald released an album with josh teskey last year and yeah they just oh, awesome. make beautiful music very reminiscent of um of the deep south where i'm from <laughs> oh nice so yeah so lauren where where are you from then where whereabouts in deep south <laughs> well, I'm from a barrier island off the coast of Florida called Anastasia. And um, yeah, it was a beautiful, quiet little um, island off the coast of, well, the east coast of Florida. Um, really sweet place to grow up, surrounded by water, obviously. And um, like most places, it's changed a lot and gotten a lot busier as more people have moved to live coastally. Um, but I love going back. We used to go back every year for a few months and um, would have continued to do that probably, except the world's gotten in the way and we're hoping to get back this year to visit my family because I haven't seen them in about three years now. Wow, that'll be a monumental day when you get to see them. 
It will. It will. And I'm excited to um, get our little guy. He's four into some good Southern food and, you know, develop his palate for hot sauce and banjo and freshwater (laughs) springs and, (laughs) and really um, murky, warm Atlantic water. Say the real things, oh, Lauren. Fried Twinkies. <laughs> fried pickles, yes. Fried pickles. Fried pickles, definitely, yes. Fried everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds, that sounds quite dreamy. For, the, for those of you who are, um, who are listening to this, we are going through pain getting this podcast brought to you, so don't just switch it off halfway through. To <laughs> <Exactly. that long. laughs> this has been a monumental mission and we want to make sure that we just got the last bit because we were just talking to we i was just talking to they lauren and dave um about lauren's upbringing and i you know what lauren i just you properly just transported me uh, to a really wonderful little place there um and i'd like to just pick up on that again so could you tell us a little bit about you were talking about you uh, growing up um in deep south um, states on a, on a beautiful little island just off Florida. And if you can carry on that again, that would be sweet. Yeah, I, I grew up on a little island off the east coast of Florida called Anastasia and um, obviously surrounded by water. So I grew up, you know, playing in freshwater springs in the, in, in the intercoastal waterway, which is brackish water, fresh and saltwater mixed. And then in the Atlantic, which is just, it gets, the water there gets so hot, like, you know, 30 plus degrees, you know, in the 80s. So it's, um, yeah, it's just a special, sweet place that was so um, quiet and spacious, such a um, lovely place to grow up and get into trouble if you're (laughs) into that, like many small towns. Um, But I really look forward to going back and taking our little boy Minnow and taking Dave back and digging into some delicious fried Southern food and developing the palate for hot sauce again. And um, yeah, going to the local farmer's markets and listening to banjo and awesome Southern music, fill the oak trees and watch the Spanish moss blow in the breeze. It's a, yeah, it's a sweet place. It's been three years. And so, yeah, I think we're all excited to get back and, get in touch with florida again that that does sound very very dreamy will you go back to your actual childhood home or has that been uh, is that all changed up now and, and a different scene yeah we will go back pretty much to my childhood home my mom's still living in the house that i grew up in so <laughs> literally all my my small family will be sleeping in my teenage bedroom which is weird but <laughs> but interesting <laughs> 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 and have you got lots of brothers and sisters? No, I'm an only child. It's just me. So um, I've got all the, the quirky habits to prove it. <laughs> I'd love to know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have good enough uh, internet reception for the long discussion. That Sorry, be. <laughs> can't hear you. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay. Oh, no, I was just kidding. Can you hear us for real? lauren you started surfing when you were 14 what what got you on a longboard yeah i I, um my dad surfed as a kid he grew up his dad was in the military so he grew up traveling a bit and learned to surf in hawaii and um, they spent time in japan and in france and so i grew up kind of with the um, mythology of surfing in our house and sort of, you know, pictures and posters on the walls of surfing. So it was always kind of subconsciously around, but I really started surfing when I had a dream about riding waves one night when I was a young teenager and I woke up and I just had this clarity about absolutely having to go surfing after school that day. So I got a friend to push me into some waves in that beautiful brown, warm, soupy Atlantic water, and um, and I was pretty much hooked and spent most of my waking moments when I wasn't being an absolute nerd at school, staring at the ocean or being in the ocean on a longboard because the waves in Florida are just so conducive to the um, the glide and subtlety of a longboard because it tends to be 
pretty much flat most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, what an amazing way to to start surfing by waking up from a dream that you've been surfing and you just then had to go and live it in reality. That's that's quite special. I wish I had something to do with it. I don't feel like I really did. I feel like it kind of happened to me, but I'm so, so grateful that it did because surfing really has, I mean, you know, it's so cheesy talking about <laughs> surfing this way, but it really has shaped most of the important decisions of my life from, you know, going to where I went to uni, um, studying abroad in Australia, you know, about 40 minutes from now, we from where we live now, you know, being with Dave, basically, we chose to be with each other because we're equally obsessed and committed to being absolute feral surf rats. Um, and it would be sad for anyone else to have to put up with um, <laughs> our feralness. How, how did you guys meet? <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to try and say something funny, but I just don't have anything. Uh, we just, <laughs> um, well, how the, far back the, do you want to go? There's a few longer and shorter versions, but I, I um, met Lauren when she was doing um, study abroad stuff at Lismore, which is a town inland from uh, where we do live now in the Lennox Byron region. And uh, we went surfing, had a friend who, just a mutual friend, and um, we ended up having some surfs together and hanging out and and feeling like we really enjoyed each other's company but we were in other relationships and then we didn't see each other again for a few years and then I saw an amazing picture of Lauren hanging tan in a paisley shirt and tie and like a amazing um, backlit picture of her hanging tan in Florida and, and it struck me like lightning. I was a single guy at the time and I just had to reach out straight away and and send her a message and um, and actually funnily enough, She'd just become a single gal and the timing was amazing and we just started communicating and and uh, and then, yeah, a little while later. Don't miss out on are. the poetry. There were, there were lots of, these are, were in the, um, the Skype days. We were doing lots of Skyping and cheesy poetry writing. We oh. basically became pen pals for a few months there and then um, eventually I flew back to Oz and camped in a tent amongst um what do you call a group of leeches i'm not sure i know with sharks it's a shiver and with crows it's a murder but i'm not sure what you call a group of leeches anyway there were lots of leeches and ticks and um and a really <laughs> feral composting toilet i won't go into the details of it but it was disgusting anyway it was a real it's a real testament to our love for one another that i decided to stay <laughs> Well, your love for me yeah your tolerance for me Did it just turn out that dave was one of those leeches <laughs> precisely yes <laughs> so when, when you when you saw the when you saw the, the the photograph of lauren on this backlit kind of like beautiful lovely wave lauren did you say look i, I need to kind of see your profile photo and, and went through a few issues of surfer's path to try and find the best shot of dave to be like yeah do you know what i think we're kind of matched here is that how that worked <laughs> I um I was aware of his work and um <laughs> I haven't worked a day in my life. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I actually I had recently um seen the cove and it, there were there were all of these funny sort of synchronistic like little clues that I I was needing to go back to Australia. I had, you know, been thinking about getting back here and um, I'd recently graduated from uni and was parched for surfing. I'd just spent so much time writing a thesis and I was so ready to get back in the ocean and I was wanting to get back to Australia. I saw the cove. I ran into a friend, Karina Petroni, who's in the cove and was there with Dave to do the paddle out into um, Taiji Cove and um, and she said she'd been with Dave, and then Dave wrote to me, and so it just felt like this natural um, bringing together of us that, um, yeah, that worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's lovely. It's, uh, it's 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 so cool, and and hats off to you as well, Lauren, for like you because you were going to go and 
you, you kind of turned down touring the world um, and went to go and chase kind of education. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I had this opportunity. I had, you know, I grew up competing in women's longboarding, which is, and which was and still is the bottom of the surfing totem pole. So I can't say that there were tons of lucrative um, options there, but, um, but I did have an opportunity with a sponsor to continue competitive, competitively surfing, but, um, but I was really passionate about learning and being in a learning community. So I knew I wanted to go to uni and I ended up writing a thesis basically about how surfing could be seen as culturally and environmentally destructive, um, which mm-hmm. seems pretty, um, pretty common knowledge now, but it was, a you know, maybe bore a semblance of a unique thought then, you know, that was about, uh, oh my gosh, 15 many, years ago, many, years many, many ago. moons ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm, I'm so gr- grateful that I, ended up going in that direction, um, ended up coming back around and working with surfing sponsors again after university, which was a total surprise to me. I didn't expect to do that, but there was such a gap in the surfing world at that time where my like sort of half baked ideas and, um, (laughs) and willingness to have a go at storytelling and, um, and bringing in social and environmental issues into these sort of surf brand campaigns made enough sense for them to be supporting me again. So it just was kind of lucky timing. That's amazing. I mean, you guys, you've, you've done this, the, the book, which is the rise of female surfing as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I have to interject and say masterfully done there, friend. You said the rise of female surfing, but you didn't say she surfed. Oh, so well don't. done. Because yes, it's a, it's a point of contention that. with Lauren and, and it, it illustrates, I'm just going to butt in briefly, but it illustrates the need for women to be telling women's stories in surfing um, because in that instance, Lauren, you know, really worked hard on that book and just got railroaded by some dude in Germany who thought he had a better idea for the the book name and other aspects of it and it was a real insight into how you know that we may feel as though there are many leaps and bounds gained in recent years for equality within culture such as surfing but that things like that were still happening and were happening to Lauren who worked so hard on that amazing book and the, the contents are incredible but it was wrapped up in this way that was still very I would say disrespectful of her and um and so anyway I just that's sweet I don't think I think I'm I think contractually I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> yeah, that you didn't so. I did <laughs> but you know it's just, it's just part of it and I think that's uh, that's why Lauren has got a voice in surfing that's really uh I feel respected and appreciated is because she can speak clearly and honestly and very articulately about things that are happening just below the surface within surf culture um, that really shouldn't be under the surface. They should be out front and spoken of openly and honestly so we can all do better. And Do you think it's still as strong um, or do you think it's actually getting a lot easier and better and more and more, you know, just more how it should be? Yeah, I think, oh my gosh, the culture has come so far in the last couple of decades. I mean, you know, the sort of the the easy, the go-to example of that is the WSL's pay parity decision. But um, and, and I think that's a great top-down approach. But then the really exciting thing, and this was part of what I wanted to try and capture in um, the rise of female surfing, was that all of these uh, localized pockets of surf culture are developing in unexpected locations and expected locations too. And um, women and girls and all kinds of people are taking it upon themselves to create their own ideas of what, what surfing means to them and what it looks like to them. And they're making zines and podcasts and there's this real democratization of surf culture because of, you know, financial crisis and um, surf media breaking down and surf brands becoming more or sorry less and less in touch with the lived experience of surfing as they become more and more corporate it's this really exciting time of of diversification of 
surf culture and, you know, what a surfer looks like, who a surfer is and what we care about. And um, I think it's a really exciting time to have all those conversations and to get to see it really change in rich ways. And you must be so proud of being part of that shift because although it's not necessarily measurable, um, you know that it's definitely the stuff that you're doing in that space is actually is actually working. And, and that's a really, really like, like hats off to you for doing that because it's a really it's a really big thing, right? Well, that's very kind. It, it, I think it feels a bit more like the human discovery of fire. You know, there were many pockets, many cultures around the world who it seems like happened upon the idea, the idea of cultivating fire at the same time. It's like this um, simultaneous subconscious, not awakening, but, um, but assertion all over the world. I think lots of women and, and men and people of color and people of varying abilities all over the world have been saying these similar things. And I feel like I was just lucky enough to have a bit of a platform to um, share some of their stories through a book and, and then through the podcast too. That's amazing. And can we just in terms of us being able to get hold of your book, is that can can you get it on like um, Audible and e-download or is it hard copy only? What's the deal? Yeah, it's hard copy only. Um, so you can get it wherever, pretty much wherever you um, you buy your books, the big online retailers um, through the publisher if you're in Europe or the US. Amazing. That's amazing. And good on you. That's just like that's so, so cool. Well, I just love books. Are you like a lot of people, I think, feel like books will become irrelevant at some point, but I just can't imagine. I love holding a book. Do you, are, are you like that? Yeah, I much, I, I much prefer having a book. I, I actually got bought a Kindle and it's in my, it's in the drawer of like next to my bed. And every time I open the drawer, it's just got a big battery sign on it, which means charge. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I, I much prefer holding a book, the, the smell of a book, like, you know, just, yeah, there, there's something much nicer about just the old school thing of, of having a book. It's way better. Mm. Yeah. I think so too. So what, what are your guys, what, what's the, what's the future for you? Cause obviously you've got little minnow who sounds like a right little dude. Um, you're, you, I know it's, it's quite annoying. I mean, we get asked like Jim, so what are the plans for the business over the next five years? You know, give us, give us some stats, give us some direction. And you're just a bit like, dude, you just, just like go away. I'm actually quite happy today and we'll just see what happens tomorrow. Um, but um, <laughs> what's, what, what, is there a, is there a, is there a thing that you guys are like, is there a goal you guys are after or is it, is it genuinely just actually just enjoying living as it is and just taking each day as it comes? Cause either answer is going to be great. Well, I have to preface this by saying that we had a pretty wild end of last year and beginning of this year, um, Minnow broke his leg last year. So oh. we had a very different kind of month or so um, recuperating a four-year-old who's usually extremely active. Um, and then he wasn't able to walk around without assistance. And then we started the year by all getting COVID. And on top of that, Dave managed to get what I'm claiming is the world's first and only case of COVID pox, which is adult chicken pox plus COVID at the same time. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh. <laughs> so, so right now, Sorry, Dave. I feel like the last, and then yeah. we just had catastrophic floods in our region. So I feel like we're just in this kind of enjoying being well in our bodies and, um, and trying to just like, just live normal, healthy lives for a little bit. And that's feeling really fantastic. Um, besides that, while we're enjoying that, we're also dreaming up a fourth season of the Water People podcast together. We, um, Dave and I wanted to create a space where we could, like you were saying before, share some of the stories that are so beautiful and provocative and um and adventurous that you know maybe don't make mainstream surf media maybe are outside of the normal scope of of surf culture and really you know pay homage to some of the great characters that we've met over the years you know that experience after a surf when you 
kick back around a fire and you crack open a beer, sit down with a cup of tea and you just get whisked away into someone else's reality um, for a short time. We really wanted to create a space where storytelling could um, could take the lead in podcast form. So we're working on that and um, I'm working on a few other book ideas and I'm working on a short film with Patagonia right now um, that'll come out later this year. What's and, that going to be called? Yeah, that's kind of that is, uh, it's called the physics of nose riding. Oh, cool. So it's a, it's science meets story narrative that, um, that's been really humbling and has helped me think about, um, longboarding in a fresh way, which is pretty cool after 20 years of, um, of doing it. I look forward to seeing that when that comes out. Um, uh, bearing in mind, I think, I mean, we've we've covered a whole load of ground here, and I also understand it's getting fairly late with you guys. And I just wanted to kind of just wrap up with a couple of quick questions, um, if that's okay, before before we part ways. Um, but I just wanted to ask: is there a uh, is there a wave that you both haven't surfed that you uh, like something unridden that has to be ridden before the end of time? Mm, good question. What about you, Davy? Have you got anything? Um, I'm I'm less attached to going to particular locations. I'm actually more interested in, in more interested in developing intimate relationships with particular waves, and that's okay. definitely been happening since we've been um, at home during this whole COVID period. I love getting to that point where you really understand, like the kink in the line of a wave at a particular break and you know what every wind direction is going to do to the face of the wave. I'm actually more interested in that now than seeking out new waves. Is that, is that true for you, Davey? Um, yeah, I, I'm actually just really happy surfing away from anything other than the waves. I, I, I've just... <laughs> I really, it's a very personal experience for me surfing a lot of the time. Um, sometimes it's social, but usually I'm a pretty solo kind of person and um, really love to be surfing on my own. And fortunately in Australia, there's, there's a lot of coastline, there's a lot of space. Like We live in a busy area, but there's still probably 90% of the time no one out when I go surfing the waves that I like to go surf. So... Uh, I would like to do more of that too. And and last year, actually, there, I had multiple surfs where um, I'd be in the water with maybe a dozen dolphins and no humans, and then I'd come back to the little piece of land that we live on and I wouldn't see any other humans other than Lauren and little Minnow that day. And I realized I'd been in the company of other species, other wave riding species like bottlenose dolphin, um, more than I'd been in the company of human wave riders and humans in general. And it was so deeply uh, satisfying for me uh, to do that. And I'm a bit of a misanthrope, if you can't tell, <laughs> um, but it's, it is just really meaningful for me and and so I, I think actually I'll probably just keep going down that uh, route as much as I can, knowing that, you know, lineups are getting busier and, and all that the world is filling up with a lot of us human folk. Um, so I, I really just very, very much love that kind of space. And, and actually getting to surf places in Australia with, with other like-minded people who are equally just sort of starry-eyed and looking at, around us with gratitude is very um, satisfying for me. Uh, but I do mm -hmm. find that, um, you know, the busier lineups and stuff, are, there's much more of a human element that comes in and sort of overtakes the, the, the wave and the ecology that's there. And, and so, yeah, I just opt for something different. And, and I, you know, I've had a very gluttonous life of surf travel and surfing and very excessive very spoilt and so I, I really feel like it's it's right it's appropriate for me to um yeah just perhaps go more gently be more quiet in that way yeah i mean what a 
lovely little scene that you just set there of being able to do that. Um, and also, you know, not, not seeing people and having, having dolphins kicking around is, is, is pretty beautiful. And we've got a, you know, we've, it's not, you know, it's not as kind of idyllic there as it is here, but we've had a couple of sessions here recently where I mean, we, my group of friends, we all live within a short walk and everyone's got at least one, if not four kids. And, um, Mm-hmm. There are days when you just you you drop the kids off at school and you just know that there's a little wave and it's only five minute walk away from the house and you can just go and have a dip and it's just a very very small number of you in there and maybe you know if it's a weekend uh, a few of the kids will be in as well and it's it's those days where you get out and it's pure magic isn't it and you just kind of you don't really you can't really compre- comprehend how like wonderful it is and Lauren how you were just mm-hmm. talking about having a fire afterwards we. We had a fire in my garden just uh, only two weeks ago on a, on a weekend, and um, a friend of mine and, uh, and myself were just chatting about one of those days that we had the other day, where one of these banks was just absolutely lovely, and we were just frothing on it for you know h- half an hour, just pure <laughs> chat about how lucky we were that all this stuff is just on our doorstep and we don't need to go anywhere for it. And uh, you know, it's only, it's it's once in a blue moon these things happen, but um, they're they're so worth it in the end. Well, good on you for having the eyes and the ears to see and hear and feel that because it is so amazing that for all of us it differs, you know, and um, and that you can be there feeling that and someone in Sydney can feel that on the main beach in front of a big coastal city or yeah. someone in Venice in Southern California can feel that or Rockaway out in New York or wherever you are have that ability to to be lost or found however you want to see it in those moments is so great and it is wonderful i don't want to take away from that with what i was saying before about that shared experience where you do feel a sort of uh camaraderie or a communal communal sort of feeling with fellow surfers and you you sit around the fire afterwards and reflect on how lucky you are it is one of the best aspects of a surfing life is that moment afterwards and and giving thanks it's great to hear you, you um, share your version of that. Yeah, man. No, I've got I've, although our, our cameras are off, it's put a big smile on my face thinking about it. So it's nice, nice to actually bring that up again. Um, but guys, I just just wanted to say thank thank you so much for your time. Um, you're both like such wonderful people, um, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time. It's Friday night, and um, and uh, I'd I'd love to if I can get over there again, um, over to your way, be able to you know. Um, come and come and say hello at your uh, at your your small holding and um, get my kids to come and pick some pick some food. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be <laughs> that would be a little dream. That would be amazing. That'd be great. Yeah, please let us know when you make it our way. Yeah, that that would be grand. Well, look, have have an amazing weekend and thanks again so much for your time and um, look after yourselves and have fun. Yeah, thanks for the perseverance. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks for your patience. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs>